0: This is Lee Majors. Well, obviously I'm not Lee Majors, and I'm only a stand-in reading his script. I'll do my best to see that the viewing audience notices no difference between me and Lee, and that their enjoyment of this introduction isn't lessened in any way. Actually, Lee and I were once teamed up to do a buddy cop show. We filmed a pilot, and then a couple of episodes, but it didn't sound in the end. For some reason, Lee wasn't believable in the role. I was, though, and I got to call young hoodlums, punks, and lowlife trash. I even got to pistol whip a pimp. I found it really got something out of my system. Now please enjoy the following episode of Ned Trek. In my opinion, it is not their best effort, but then again, I'm not in it this time. So, how could it be? Stay tuned. Space. The ultimate
1: marketplace. These are the voyages of the starship Free Enterprise. Its mission of undetermined length. Um, until we're cancelled, I guess. To seek out strange new commodities. Exploitable alien workforces have brazenly amassed the largest profits that any corporation has before. thank you for inviting me down to take my annual physical. You've done your usual thorough good job. Yes, indeed. My hair hasn't felt this good in about an hour. Or since right before you wetted it down with pine sap and pole cat grease. <laughs> I swear the thing is taking on a life of its own. It's taking banjo lessons now. I even set it up with its own rustic little private equity firm. I did it for taint, and I can do it for a hair junior. Ah, say, it's the most extraordinary
2: thing, sir. Every time some patient of mine gets himself off this here medical contraption,
1: the beeping noise stops. It just can't be coincidental. Good on you for taking all this on, Doc. You're a real credit to the show. I'd never know that there was nothing wrong with me if it weren't for those plastic monitors blinking and beeping like mad. I might think I had a broken leg and be limping around like a pirate for nothing. (laughs) Just imagine me lame. Ah, say, Captain much as I would like to signify to you my pleasure in
2: your complimentation to me and your generous expression of heartfelt gratitudies, it's hard for me to take any credit. All I did was take a quick gander at some dabs of quicksilver going up and down on a fangled machine. A man can't take much pride or take much credit in his work if there's an electronical contraption all up in his business doing all kinds of fancy diagnosis work. Submitting invoices and then drinking away its earnings with a devil's brew of lubricating
1: oil. You know you're like the John Henry of medicine, except not so Africany. <laughs> Testing the muscle strength of your medical knowledge against the abilities of a steam-powered computer. Who will win? When John Henry was a little
3: baby, <laughs> sitting on his dad-dad.
1: John Henry said to his "The main one."
2: I'm shaking 12 pounds from my hip on down. Can't you hear that pulsing? Why don't you hear that pulsing, right?
4: Why
2: don't you hear that pulsing?
1: <laughs> but, Doc, these futuristic machines are here to serve man. In fact, every time I use the turbo lift, I half expect it to serve me up to the robotics bay. Those mechanical reciprocating arms always look so hungry. <laughs> I swear I can hear them calling to me now! I say, Captain, just what are we doing
2: out here, hoovering in the space ethers? Seems like there's still some hoovering that
1: men can do to remain men, way back on Earth proper. In fact, I think today is Hoover Day at stately Romney Mansion 5. We really spruced the place up in honor of my favorite president and his famous sucking invention called the Depression, I think. All I know is that we eventually cleaned up. You know, you could really feel the wind on your back in those days. Yep, it was always pretty windy. Ah, say, are you a-talking about the sea, Captain? <laughs> yes, the sea. Of course I was. It was always pretty windy, even inside the cabins. I think there may have been a pucker hole in the portside keel. <laughs> That's what we yachtsmen call a window. Well, those were the days when commerce blew free and regulations could be drowned along with the union leaders in the deep end of an Olympic-sized swimming pool. That's back when free enterprise really meant something. I say, that's for sure. After Sir Francis
2: Drake circumcised the globe with his hundred-foot clipper. Nobody expected to hear any backtalk from it. The globe, that is. It just spat out its oil and diamonds on demand.
1: One day we'll tap its nougat center, and then on that day it'll be mine. You mark my words. (laughs) You know, I think I officiated at the opening of that nougat center. That's where the chocolate train stops, isn't it? Don't worry, Doc. We're talking white chocolate. <laughs> that reminds me. You know, a chicken can make you one good meal. Or it can provide you with a thousand breakfasts. Or you can have a thousand chickens delivered to your town estate every week. I say, anyhow, sir, I'm fed up with play-acting and playing third fiddle to a godforsaken beast.
2: If I can't beat Top Banana here, I'll up and take my practice elsewhere. I honestly don't think any amount of practice is going to help, considering you're just practicing your incompetence. And also, there's somebody here to see you. Another racist fossil by the look of him. Seriously, I think he could serve as his own gravestone. All you'd have to do is bury him sitting
3: up. Shh. Right of my way,
2: ducky. I say, praise be it's the judge, the governor, the senator, all three rolled into one powerful piece of manhood. I am of course referring to none other than the Honorable Strom Thurman. Are you sure? I thought maybe the trash was learning to take itself out. Although most of our trash is only half that racist.
3: I right, declare, It would do me a world of satisfaction to horsewhip you boy. Go ahead and give it a try.
2: I'm
1: betting you'll have a heart attack before your arm comes down once. Gee whiz, Doc. This is like being visited by one of our more racist angels. Hey, Angel Thermondi, are horses to be shunned and cast out as well as dark people? I've got a pen and
3: paper with me. I don't know what you're gabbing about, you lacquered-up fence post. You just get and take that oversized polecat away with you. You tinkers are stinking up my barn. Sure thing, Judge. See you later at the lunch counter, maybe. We can reminisce about how perfect things were in the 1950s. My God, I hate him. He's a watered-down version of his watery wafer of a father. Except with more water added. Now, Coburn, what's this foolishness about you moving on and leaving the show? I see. I believe that I've done my part here. By example, I've shown these people the lucrative path to Jesus. I've taught them to put out an eye with a poker and how to turn the other butt cheek. Now, you be quiet. and Just hold your tongue a minute, Coburn. You can't leave Ned Trick. You owe it to our people to show that proponents of Jim Crow have a place in the future. I want viewers of this stupid show to see hardcore segregationists flying in space along all other kinds of conservatives, a kind of type, libertarian type, a vulture capitalist type and us all sitting pretty on the bridge of it. It's up to you now to hold our place in space or else the promise that segregation now, segregation tomorrow will all just ring halla. <laughs>
2: I say I'll do it,
3: Judge. You can count on me. I guess I just needed someone of your legendary standing to show me that what I've been doing this whole time has been right this whole time. Even though somewhere deep down, I knew it this whole time. I can vouch for the
2: fact that you've been a hole this whole time. That is if you ever need a character witness. Hey, now if you can bear to leave the fossilized remains of the last Dixie you and I are needed up on the bridge. Captain Fool thought he was calling us on the intercom, but he was just jettisoning the ion pot again. Luckily, only a few Mr. Stephanies were lost. That's okay, haven't gone through our quota yet. I say, looks like duty
3: calls, Mr. Senator Judge. I'll dismember you in my prayers. Be sure you do that, you Coburn. But before you go, take a look at my withered ass. I think it might have crackatooties. It's a darky disease. Listen,
2: Thurman, if you need more FaceTime, do it on another show. Try hey, hee haw. They can pluck a banjo to your racist banter.
1: Ah, outer space. At one time I thought I might grow tired of seeing stars whiz by the view screen like this, but you know, it kind of grows on you. Like a fungus. But the good kind.
2: (laughs) Not that you'd be interested in the operations of the starship, but I'm reading something kind of strange in the script. I mean, on the sensors, it's coming from that uncharted solar system up ahead. Uncharted, you say?
0: Captain, it looks like a giant head in space. I mean, head.
1: A ham, you say? (laughs) Hopefully he doesn't want his show back. (laughs) I'm still trying to figure out how to drive it. For instance, this lever here. I'm still not sure what that does. Also, I just about got down all these confusing multi-syllable space terms. Neutrino. He was one of the Marx Brothers, right? I say, a ham. That means we'll be roasting it up tonight.
2: Wait a gosh darn minute. It might be a relative. But that shouldn't change our plans. I'll just have to say a few words before we sit down. Orderly Blue blow, blow, start your cooking going and start your banjo a pluckin
0: For the fourth time, I said hand, not head. It's
2: probably just our special effects guy's stupid hand, and it's not the first time either.
1: <laughs> well, what do you know about that? A giant hand in space. Yes, indeed. What do you think the custom is here, customs officer? Do we shake the free enterprise up and down with it firmly? Or maybe we better not. That is, not until our people have had a look at the fine print in some pending intergalactic free trade agreement. I need to make sure that we wrote it. Wouldn't want to be agreeing to any labor rights or environmental regs. (laughs) Now that would go against the subprime directive. (laughs) We could invert the ship and high-five the hand, but that might have the unfortunate result of granting tacit approval of Reparations are validating some entitlement program. The hand might even expect a, a handout. Oh, oh.
2: Captain, the hand just grasped us pretty tightly. I think it may be putting us away in a prop closet. I kind of hope so. I say, I was afraid of this happening out here on this foreign frontier where all manner of alien perversions pervade the ethers. The Space Ham is trying to initiate the free enterprise into a godless fellowship. Oh, the upfront blasphemy of holding hands with the alien man!
1: Captain, the owner of this odious Space Ham is attempting to communicate with us. I suggest we reciprocate by using sign language, and then when it responds in kind with its own lewd gesture, it will have to let us go, and then we can make good our escape. Oh my god! Now there's a gigantic face appearing on the screen! What's next? A giant foot? How foot, if
2: we're lucky! This is the end of me! I mean, I mean the end of everything! We're doomed! We're done for! Wish I could think that that was some kind of loss!
1: <laughs> Mr. Helmsman! I guess if we're really doomed, then it's time to make course for the Mormon planet, Caleb! That's where we Mormons head when we're doomed or otherwise in jeopardy. It used to be Mexico. Then it was France for a while. And now it's Caleb. <laughs> it's hard to keep up. Don't I know?
2: <laughs> we're not doomed, Emisil. Although most of you flunkies are condemned to being idiots for the rest of time. That's just some stupid actor's made up face appearing on the few screen. Happens in every freaking episode. One might think you'd be used to it by now.
1: Wait a minute, I know that face. It's... It's... It's Maroney! Well, my stars, he's come to escort us to the promised wagon. (laughs) We must really rate. I was afraid we might be assigned one of the lesser angels. Like Wink Martindale. Or that one with the wooden teeth. And wooden legs. And wooden...
2: You're thinking of a tree, fool. And that's not Maroney. It's... It's... Sagan! Yes, it was I that took the wind out of your vessel's sails. Though there really shouldn't be any wind in the vacuum of space. There's wind in here! You can take my word for it! Not you again, Sagan! What the hell is it with casting these days? The guy's not even an actor! And you call that handsome? For your information, I was known as the winged Adonis of the scientific community. The rest of those guys are only about four feet tall and wear thick coke bottle glasses. Most are follically challenged or otherwise ossified. Now just look at this head of hair. You could keep a dozen craniums warm with this. I say, his head is about as hairy as grandma's eyeball was when she got a load of her Italian neighbors.
1: What's with the toga, Sagan? Some kind of fraternity thing? Not that I know anything about that. I uh, um attended tractor college. We uh all used to uh all meet in a wholesome cornfield. <laughs> yes, I went to the harvest business school myself. Never been near a toga. <laughs> Although Bain now owns most of the Greek archipelago, picked it up for a doorstop of an epic poem.
2: <laughs> My tires intended to honor the scholars of the lost great library of Alexandria where the sum of scientific knowledge in the ancient world was available to citizens of Egypt and to the enlightened people of that time. The library was destroyed by agents of ignorance and superstition. People that sought to banish progressive thought and ultimately set back the advancement of science for two millennia. Should sound familiar. Jeez Louise Sagan! What are you experience in some know-it-all withdrawal? Just give it up! Make room for other dreary eggheads on PBS to preach to the same freaking choir.
1: I say, this intellectual
2: transvestite is bent on learning us some kind of homotastic, atheistic history. Take him away! Fire some godly plasmas at him.
1: Perhaps we should put the shields up. <laughs> I guess they're probably in the space garage. We can get Rodrigo to go nail them up after he's finished rearranging my walk-in polo shoe closet.
2: (laughs) You will all be accompanying me to the Planet Surface set. There we've
1: set up a blackboard and a few rows of chairs. Don't you have access to a smart board, Sagan? Mind you, we're used to pretty well put together audiovisual presentations, mostly in the form of outrageously well-financed political attack ads. Great stuff and all true. Well, we can't all go down there, Sagan. Somebody has to
2: stay in the ship set. Stupid door latch is broken. Nobody's here to open it from the inside, then we won't be able to get in again. Stupid cheap show. You stress very unimportant matters. You will take what you need from your ship set, and then I will leave it on the studio floor, where it's sure to be stepped on by one of the janitorial staff.
1: My ship! My ship! (laughs) That means I can deduct the full retail cost of it from the janitor's salary! (laughs) That's great since the studio paid for it in the first place! (laughs) That puts me that much closer in cornering the market on Kivas and Trillium! Um,
2: sure. Regardless, you will all be under my tutelage for as long as it takes to pound some scientific knowledge into your rock-hard heads. Welcome to science class! Captain Romney.
1: Uh, Captain, sir, there seems to be some mistake. I'm wearing one of the curtains from Green Rottenberry's office windows. That's no mistake, Pearl. They just couldn't
2: find a toga big enough to fit you. Even Ernest Borgnine's wasn't big enough. Hey. I say, this all looks just like home. Greek revival style plantation houses, rolling hills, vineyards and orchards stretch to the horizon where they meet the stately banks of the Mississippi River. I picture myself as a boy with cheeks of tan, but not too tan, of course, as not to confuse the ladies. We'll give our lynch mob some unnecessary brain work. Are you sure that's tobacco you're chewing on, Coburn? Those columns are as plastic as Captain Romney's face. And those rolling hills and vineyards are painted on the set's backdrop. Look, there's a freaking stain on the thing. I think somebody chucked on it during Ted Cruz's Spartan-themed Christmas party. But who could have done that? Just puked and run. I'm gonna tell Desi Arnese's lawyer? Oh no, it did mean the whole crew. Dr. Pagoto too. This is an extravaganza I sure didn't need. Um,
4: excuse me, Mr. Horse, but I seem to be here too. (laughs) And what's more, I seem to be an officer in your space service now. I feel so proud and, what is the word? Oh yes, gloomy. Holy
2: shit, the producers really are scraping the bottom of the bowl for this one.
1: <laughs> yes, Ned. In anticipation of this little wingding, the studio suits had me commissioning new officers all day yesterday. I found this little man hiding in a worm cellar. He's an ensign now, eighth class. What is your name again, son?
4: The name is Goodstein. <laughs> Hanson Gladstone Goodstein, at your service, sir.
1: Great, Mr. Gladbag. Why don't you go out and see if you can find a buyer for that worm cellar? Somebody we were bilking got stuck with it when their uncle died during the game of life. They ended up with a polecat farm, too. Anybody interested?
0: Um, I'd make it that it's about one o'clock. Is there any way I could take an extended lunch break now? One that would last at least until the wrap at the end of the day.
2: Look, don't tell me it's vegetable wraps for dinner again. It's the third time this week. Don't they have any entrails around here that they can pack into those things? There's major highway just west of here.
1: There must be some roadkill. Jason, here comes the judge, I mean the teacher. I left an apple on the desk for him. I thought if I could work my way into his confidence, He might make me the vice-teacher, especially after he sees how I perform as chairman of the school's Un-American Activities Committee. He can't help but be impressed, and security state absolutists will step up and make the case for me to be on the ticket. History repeats itself if you force it to. Wait a minute, that was my idea. The Nixon android is reading my lines again, Captain. This kind of dishonesty I hardly expect. I'm going to tell the teacher.
0: Looks like someone is making a half hearted attempt at a special effect. Sagan, or whoever he's supposed to be, is appearing.
1: <laughs> I think I'm having another religious experience. Oh no, it must be Maroney again. <laughs> You're so freaking
2: deluded, Willard. Say something to him. He can't just Shanghai Star Fleece officers, even if they're just pretending to be officers in a pretend star service.
1: This isn't Shanghai. Indeed, no. I think we'd see a few more of Bane's unsafe factories painted on that backdrop if it was. (laughs) So what can we do for you, Mr. Maroney?
2: (laughs) I am the science teacher. Put your learning caps on, children. The trolley ride to knowledge is about to begin. I say, sounds like a San Francisco man treat. Anti-Christian science. We don't need any of that man-on-dog learning. We got banjos and an awesome lord to pluck by. I thank you,
1: sir. Indeed. We have no need for science. We find the lack of it to be quite lucrative.
2: You've got to be kidding, right, Sagan? Aren't we a little old for this? Oh, yeah, and way too stupid. Actually... You're never too old to learn new things, and even the proudest ignoramus, assuming he has a normal-sized human brain, is capable of creating new neural pathways. Well, you just counted this group out. They don't have one normal brain cell between them. Speak for yourself, Ned. I've got plenty of brains. Presidents, kings, and tyrants come from light years away just to consult with me. Take your seats, gentlemen. We are going to begin with some of the basic facts of our solar system. Well, I appear to have an apple on my desk. How curious. But I can actually use this humble red fruit to teach you about our own planet Earth and about its atmosphere. Mm. I don't understand. There seems to be something wrong. I can't cut into this thing. Nixon must have fabricated it. He's got a food synthesizer shoved up his robotic ass.
1: Um, so tell me again, where is our lunch coming from today, if you don't mind me asking? I made that apple, all right. It's an eider red. So it should be pink right down to its underwear. I mean, right down to its apple flesh, if I know my fruit. And I should. My father was a grocer, don't you know?
2: Grocer than what? Actually, it doesn't matter. This polymer apple is good enough for the purpose of my example. You see, the atmosphere of the Earth is proportionately just as thin as this apple skin. Let me draw a representation of it on the board here. This is the outline of our apple globe. I'll tell you who's bored here. It's me that's bored. That's who... You can't make us stay here, Sagan. You know that. I don't know why you'd even want to try, to be completely honest. Not many people seem interested in anything we do, at least according to our ratings. That's where you're wrong. I have the ability to transcend your dismal ratings.
1: Oh my god, I knew it. He's got special powers. godlike powers. Not that we should bow to every alien that has a bag of tricks. But exactly, how low would you like me to bow, Your Holiness? Do it and we'll all go blind, Pearl! Just go cower someplace
2: where I can't see your ass, okay? So you have omnipotent godlike powers then, do you, Sagan? What, did the suits at PBS give you those along with a closet full of turtlenecks? No, actually I was empowered by Paramount Mexicala Studios and I can annul any of your contracts any time I want to.
0: That's a pretty good power, have to admit. I think I'll probably stay for a few pay cycles anyway.
1: (laughs) Oh, Maroney, you're so funny. (laughs) And we do appreciate your patronage. After Bane picked up Paramount and moved it to Mexico, we've been relying on a crack team of downsizing managers to get a handle on things. In other words, We started using men who won't accidentally let themselves go before the job is done. Like that last guy. The man was a genius. Before he fired himself, he had Desi Arnaz teach a non-union Mexican national how to be Lucy Straight Man. Just think, by lunchtime we'd change the studio's name to (laughs) Hakabaloo! This is
2: all crazy talk. Wacko crazy talk. Do you think for one minute that I spent two years struggling to finish a correspondence course on veterinary medicine? to be told that I don't know anything about science. I'll tell you what, I should be teaching this course. That's what. Let's get back to the lesson at hand. And just to review, this is the planet Earth with its paper-thin veil of atmosphere. Imagine it rotating and revolving around the sun, traveling through space. What a pretty little world, like a blue jewel set in the black velvet ocean. A solar system all bound by gravity in a perpetual cosmic dance.
4: Pardon me for interrupting your richly illustrated lesson, Mr. Sagan, but it sounds like you're kinda sweet on that planet. You're even giving it a ring. I understand. I once had a similar craving for a dead moon once. People didn't understand, though, That makes me seem strange, doesn't it?
2: I say, God would never sanction a marriage between a man and a planetoid! You are damnation,
1: sir! Dr. Sagan, you know in my day there were people that expressed similar intentions towards that globe. We called them communists or filthy reds. They tried to win the day with ruthlessness, dishonesty and paranoia. They were thoroughly corrupt and threw away lives like so much garbage. In the end, they collapsed like a house of cards, and they deserved it. In a few years, though, they were back and were being rehabilitated. I was even brought to the White House to consult for one of my successors. It felt good to be needed, and I began to grow.
2: Is it time for that robot's oil change or something? Sagan, you can't make these people learn about science! They don't care about anything but their own short-term profits! Closer to the Sun is a planet of similar size to the Earth. It's the Earth's sister planet, the planet Venus.
1: (laughs) So that means the father world does have a sister wife, and with a name that rhymes with penis! (laughs) How apropos! Oh, your lesson on Mormon cosmology is really enlightening. Now, I think I have some idea of what those early pioneers went through on the wide open salt flats back home. At night, they'd look up into the sky and see their own beliefs reflected back at them, all written in starlight and moonflakes. Say what I mean! No, that's not where
2: I'm going with this at all. But I should award you with extra credit for being completely wrong in such a novel manner. The planet Venus is roughly the same size as Earth. Its position closer to the Sun evokes an image of a tropical paradise. But the truth is far from that. Venus is enveloped in a thick atmosphere, which makes its surface features invisible to us. Or at least invisible to conventional telescopes. From Earth, Venus appears as an opaque disk, as light is reflected off its dense clouds. Those clouds are composed of sulfuric acid, Immense atmospheric pressure and the corrosive nature of the gases quickly destroy any earth probe that attempts a landing on that tortured world. Instead of a tropical paradise, it is much more hellish. I say, what do you expect? Sending an intimate probe to the sinful soil of a foreign harlot is inviting God's wrath and earning the devil's
1: black fortune. Yeah, um, I might agree with that, although... I phrase it a little differently.
2: What I'm trying to illustrate here is that Venus is experiencing a runaway greenhouse effect. Its thick clouds are trapping heat and
1: broiling the planet's surface. (laughs) I imagine that workers on that Venus place are probably pretty docile and industrious. Hardy, too, if they're able to put up with those harsh conditions. I wager that the costs of setting up a factory are as low as anywhere in the galaxy. Rodolfo, tell Ricardo to take my phone out of my pocket. Vincente has to make some calls! Wait a minute! I know what's going on here! This is all more of that climate change propaganda, promulgating the global warming myth. Nice try, Sagan. Trying to sneak that elitist, alarmist trope through the back door, using science as a blind. Hey, I should try that trick to get a few wars burning. I'm sure I could command more airtime than you, at least on channels that people watch. Can't get anything past you, can it, Pearl?
2: Information has the same fate as a pastry trolley. Hi.
1: It's all conspiracy theory stuff. I recognize the technique. The idea is to try to scare people with cheap films of a melting Statue of Liberty and a cracking Liberty Bell. They do it to get the citizenry to rise off their chairs and then sit back down again. And then allow us all the necessary latitude to protect them. And we can protect them, all right. And, And pretty much with any plan we already had pinned to the bulletin board. Oh, boy. You just have the
2: cafeteria menu on your bulletin board, Pearl. That and a picture of yourself accepting a agreed Award from Fleet Captain Reagan.
1: That was the Freedom Award. And for your information, I can keep the Confederation protected with that picture. I know what you mean. <laughs> I kept myself warm for an entire Massachusetts winter just by hanging a picture of myself over our gargantuan Byzantine furnace. The little Rodrigos knew they had to keep shoveling coal as long as I continue to look stern.
2: This has gone on far enough, I think. Oh my god! Sagan is shrinking! Fuck! He's one of the little people now! All we have to do is rub his magic pipe! He'll be compelled to grant us a wish! Oops!
0: Wrong way!
1: Oh my god, again! Sagan is growing! He's still growing! He's... He's huge!
2: I'm still gonna give it a try. Where's your magic pipe, you oversized leprechaun? You can't hide from me! Welsh, no! Ah! Sorry, but nobody touches my magic pipe. I say, the engineer's dead, Captain! dead. You're looking at Stephanie Ann, idiot. I think he's been dead since we beamed down. Welsh is over there. This one is stone dead too, but if you want a second opinion, I don't mind. Come on over and take a gander at him, Colburn. I'd say he's dead enough for both of us. I guess we can both bill for this now. Do I have that right? Willard, that guy just killed a regular character with a lightning bolt effect and recorded thunder. What are you going to do about it?
1: (laughs) I'll show you what. Mr. Maroney, your grace. It seems that we should start worshipping you even more fervently now. Yes, now that I see that you can cast great thunderbolts from your giant finger. All hail Maroney, conductor of the clouds.
2: (laughs) I think we're going to take a 15 minute break. As much as I hate to kill and run, but I have to find a power outlet
1: somewhere.
4: You might try taking a walk in a graveyard. It's so nice and gloomy. I always find it invigorating.
2: Sagan! He's gone again! What is it with you, Pearl? Are you double billing as the narrator for this episode? We have to find some way to get out of here. It's bad enough being cooped up with you losers on the Tiny Bridge set, but being stuck in this stupid classroom set with the entire show's extended cast of losers is worse than purgatory. I say, nothing is worse than purgatory. Except for maybe the restrooms in purgatory. That's where the devil sends men to clean the toilets. Never allowing even
1: the most humble rag to be placed upon thy stick. Hey, did you notice Sagan's expression just before he left? He seemed to be depressed or drained.
2: I couldn't possibly imagine why he'd have that reaction. Let's see him try working with you
1: every day, and then we'll see how he'd look. I also noticed that he never seems to stray very far from his instructor's stool and podium. Could that be significant? Smells
2: like you never get far away from your stool either, Pearl. As for not leaving the podium, where's he supposed to go? The set's only four feet wide.
1: Do you expect him to start body surfing the crowd of idiots? No, seriously, Ned. I think the podium might be some kind of power source for him. Like there's a car battery in there hooked up to some electrodes that run up the sleeves of his tweed professor's coat. Whenever he wants to throw lightning bolts, he just turns a key in or flips a toggle switch, and then he's, he's just a killing machine. I suggest that we go over to the podium, open it up, and gum it up with peanut butter. I really like peanut butter. Mm. Or we could wait until Sagan comes back and then, then get him all worked up and make him start firing off charges every few seconds. In no time, his battery will be dead, and he'll have to wait for AA to come and give him a jump. You want someone from Alcoholics
2: Anonymous to come start up his podium for him? What are you drinking? I... Uh, I meant a Ah, uh, say, what's that man stuttering for? Do I detect the imminence of an evil rain coming to silkify the righteous servicemen of this confederation? Okay, okay, when Pearl starts making sense to me, I know that all is lost. But what the hell? The cameras are still running, so let's try and make a plan. First of all, we don't have any peanut butter. What did you do with it, Pearl? Did you make yourself a triple-decker peanut butter and pastrami sandwich for a midnight snack?
1: No, I swear. I had just gotten out the tubes of space peanut butter when the android President Nixon came into the galley. He was having trouble deleting a particularly incriminating ten-minute section of tape, so I tried to help him. That's all true. I cannot tell along. Especially now, since my knowledge of my best capers can no longer be accessed by my hypertronic brain. All I seem to be able to do is recount the biography of George Washington Carver.
2: You're telling me that the Nixon tapes are all gummed up with peanut butter? Who are you now,
1: Pearl? nuts? Listen, it doesn't matter. We don't need the peanut butter. We can just... we'll, we'll drain Sagan's power by harassing him in class. The big tough kids in the class can ask a lot of impertinent questions, throw paper around, and hold up the day's lesson. He can't possibly kill them all. I noticed that you're keeping yourself safely out of range during this proposed lamb-basting. No, it'll work great. I remember back in Neocon Charm School, one day our teacher, Miss Jean Kirkpatrick, was sick, and she was replaced by a substitute teacher by the name of McGee. I don't know why they didn't just call in John Bolton or Bob Dornan or somebody good. Instead, this McGee woman came in and tried to keep order, but none of us would have it. We just started chanting Magoo over and over again. Magoo! She sent one of us to the office, and then another one of us had to stand in the corner, and then another out in the hall, but still, Magoo, 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 until she left the room crying. It was great. Miss Kirkpatrick got over her venom blowback disease, and in a day or so, she was back teaching us the fundamentals of imperial hegemony. I love to learn. Okay, we can give
2: it a try. I think we're all on board except for Captain Willard who still seems to think that Sagan is some kind of Maroney brand angel.
4: I don't think we can trust the captain on this one. He might go and turn us all in, just in order to get some kind of brownie points with his lord. I might be tempted to do the same thing. That is, if the lord of darkness was here.
2: No time to worry about that. Here comes Sagan. Get ready, stop being obnoxious jerks on my mark! Uh, that was refreshing. Fermented honey mixed with freshly melted snow from the summit of Mount Olympus. Ah, say, what an elitist! He probably doesn't even use slave labor to pick those honey berries! Actually it was just club soda from the machine out in the hall. I couldn't resist getting into my role a bit. Now for this afternoon's lesson, we'll be covering the scientific contributions of three gentlemen. The first, Johannes Kepler, 17th century German mathematician and astronomer that discovered the laws of planetary motion. And his Dutch counterpart, Christian Huygens, the scientist that studied the rings of Saturn And discovered that planet's largest moon called Titan. Why would I ever want to know about someone named Huygens? That's a ridiculous name! Okay,
4: let him have it kids! Oh teacher, can I please be excused? I just don't feel that well. I need to go to the morgue. That should cheer me up a lot.
2: I say,
4: Teacher Magoo,
2: it's high time that you let me take over the class for a while. I can dispel the myths of science and do some fire and brimstone preaching. Let's all sing something from the KKK's Book of Spirituals. Hey Magoo, I'll take you on a horsey ride
4: if you put a bag over your head. Teacher, Teacher Magoo, I just stepped in some feces and then I walked on the hood of your car and then somehow it caught on fire. Sorry about that, Magoo.
2: Magoo, 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 Hey, Magoo. Mago. Kepler was Mago. freaking Mago. wrong with his theory that the planets' orbits all Mago. fit together like nested Mago. geometric shapes. Uh, so therefore, all the science is wrong Mago. and stupid. Mago. Mago. I've had about enough Mago. of this. All of Mago. you take your seats this instant. Mago. I'm getting mad. We're tired of looking at your snooty face saying we're not inspired by your cosmic chum bait. I'm not some kind of doe-eyed nerd that was weaned on Sesame Street, Mr. Freakin' Rogers. We're all grown up. And we'll stay as ignorant as we want. And we'll destroy the planet's atmosphere if that's what we want too. Who cares anyway? It's just home to freakin' losers and stone stupid fools. My first wife, Linda, spoke to me like that once, and she lived to regret it. I yelled at her so loud that the sound waves broke one of the fluted glass tines on her favorite wind chimes. Mortal horse, once again, you have earned my wrath. <laughs>
1: Hold on, no, your grace. Please don't kill the horse. <laughs> I think we might still get a few bucks from alive on eBay. With that seed money, I figure we can buy a few second-hand wheels for the buckboard that I keep in the shuttle bay. That way you can make an appropriate entrance into Salt Lake City and to the tabernacle itself. That is, before we up and go to the promised planet, Caleb, hail, hail!
2: I obviously have no idea what you're talking about, but I'm glad of your intervention. I was acting in haste just now, and I apologize to the horse and to the rest of you, since you, Romney... Are the only one of the group who's capable of civil discourse, even though the content of that discourse is astonishingly bizarre, I will allow you to escort me off the set and to my trailer.
1: <laughs> it is written that when Moroni cometh, he will have thy trailer. At least I'm pretty sure that was another one of those bonus commandments on one of those lost tablets. <laughs> hey Maroney, what are the chances that you'd loan us another set of those? <laughs> This time, I'd keep them handcuffed to my servant's wrists!
2: Um... I'm actually not sure how to answer that. Well, that didn't work! Any more bright ideas, Pearl?
1: Well, um, we could invade, uh... Well, we could, uh, bomb, uh... Uh, no, no, we... We could subvert, uh... uh, I'm at a loss, Ned! None of my usual solutions seem appropriate in this one unique case. Although we could try an invasion of that little hamlet painted on the backdrop over there, it might at least make us all feel better. Just stow it, Pearl. The frustrating thing is that
2: the last plan may have worked if it wasn't for Captain Delusiono Mucking it all up like he usually does. I mean we could replace him with a no parking
4: sign and be way better off and have way fewer problems. I hate to interrupt the horse that's about to delve into a deep bout of depression. But I have to point out that the engineer, uh, Mr. Welsh, I think, is still pretty dead over here. And if he's not brought back to life soon by some kind of space magic, there's going to be some unpleasant issues that start to arise. I wouldn't mind though, he can stay with me.
2: I say, he's going to start following the air with a pervading reek! Worse than the reek he used to put out back when he was actively interacting in this living sphere! Hey, Sulu! Go put a director's cap on and some director's baggy pants and tell that Welsh idiot to knock it off now! He can be alive again! I think he's got a few lines coming up anyway! But what about the real director of
0: the episode, Ned? Isn't that his job?
2: He's locked himself in the bathroom again, getting some real director's work done in there. Might be the greatest thing he's ever done. Hopefully he'll forget to flush and he can submit it to the Cannes Film Festival. Oh, very well. Hey Welsh. Hey, Mr. Welsh, would you wake up? I'm the director now. You're needed in the show again.
0: God knows why. I think it's lame enough without you.
2: Ah, you mean I could start seeing me lines again? Hi, lad, I'm glad of it. One thing is for sure we have to keep the pressure on Sagan. We have to keep Magooing him and maybe work in a few spitballs and put some tacks
4: on his chair. Stuff
2: like that.
4: Yes, yes, I can instigate some bad natured rivalry between faculty members. I can see it now. One becomes awfully jealous and even pig biting mad and ends up trying to kill the other with their bare hands or with a cleaver. <laughs>
2: you may encounter some trouble doing that, considering there's only one teacher, you strange little ghoul. I know, I know. Pick me, Mr. Horse. This isn't room 222, and I'm not Mr. Dixon, fool. Just say whatever stupid thing that just occurred to your micro-brain, and then we can disregard it. Sagan's got to think for the captain. Some kind of unhealthy man-on-man thing. Weird. Unnatural. But there it is. I mean, he just took him off for a stroll to the nether regions. Beyond cameras and beyond our sets. It's not that I like pointing this out. But it is what it is. Hey, now maybe we could use that to our advantage. We can out Sagan! To the other classical gods! It's true that a few of them were pretty slanted in their
4: own right. What was with that Zeus guy anyhow? So, Mr. Welsh, what was it like to be dead? Is it as good as everyone says?
2: Ah, lad,
4: it's just like being in an
2: episode of the show, except not having any lines or anything to do.
0: Tell me about it. I've thought seriously about replacing myself with a cardboard cutout and just sitting out the whole season.
2: Ach! I thought you were one. I almost put you out with the recycling the other day. Can you guys shut it? It's hard enough to keep this stupid farce moving along as it is. Tell the how can we use the captain's relationship with Sagan to our advantage?
1: Oh, it's simple, Ned. We just come up with a delicious blue beverage that the captain won't be able to resist drinking. Mostly because it's blue. And then at some later point, when he's well away from us and fawning over his beloved Maroni, we can throw some switch and he'll blow sky high, thus taking out the number two terrorist leader of the planet with him. It's simple. We do it all the time. Didn't you forget a step? How do we come up
2: with a blue beverage that's both delicious and an explosive? Well, I don't
1: know. Do we really have to bother with that step? I mean, can't we just come up with the idea and then just have it in the next scene? They do it all the time on other space shows and even on some cartoons. You're a freaking cartoon, all right. Drawing a little wide,
2: I'd say. Hey. I say, how is it that we get to another scene? I reckon we've done it before, but recollection fails me. It's up to the director. I was afraid of that. Probably because he's still at the Cairn Film Festival watching another one of his bombs. We can just all go to sleep. I think even our film crew might notice that. And perhaps then they'll cut the scene. Have you ever once watched this show? We could give the cameraman a delightful blue beverage and then- Okay, we're all just gonna go to sleep and hope that the scene changes by the time we wake up. This is so pathetic. There are more stars in space than grains of sand on every beach in the world. Stars have lives, much like living organisms, much like people do. They are born, they grow old, and eventually they die. Sometimes their deaths are marked by gigantic explosions. Ejecta from a star that explodes or goes nova will create a vast nebula, Interstellar clouds of this
1: kind are... You know, I could really go for a delicious blue beverage right now. Perhaps a crystal goblet of some of that godly nectar you were talking about earlier? Can I have my man get one of those for you?
2: Um, no. I'm fine. Actually, I think it's time that I send you back to your friends. I've got some imaging data to sort through anyhow. Um, I'll be in to continue the lesson later on this afternoon.
1: Radio. i <laughs> I'll look forward to further revelations from you, oh holy one. Hey, crew. At ease, men.
2: We're already sleeping, fool. How exactly could we possibly be more at ease?
1: You got me there. <laughs> and how could you? Ned, I've just had a look around and there's no sign of that... You know what? Anywhere around. Maybe they couldn't find any blue food coloring in the studio. They probably used it all on your ass,
2: Pearl. Willard, the crew needs you to distract Sagan or Maroney or whoever you think he is just for a few minutes and just long enough for one of us to sneak over to the bridge set. We need to, uh, twirl a few knobs up there and, uh, get the space stock market reports. (laughs) Heh
1: heh. I understand. Moroni wouldn't want to have first-hand knowledge of that. Let his mortal servants do the space trading. They can pocket some of the market cream for their own efforts. And then set aside 10% for the (laughs) Moroni. It's a good system. The workings of the financial sector are good and godly. But Moroni is a hands-off CEO. He just receives his cut at the first of the month, and then we don't hear much from him. That is until a new sacred tablet is revealed.
2: (laughs) Okay, Willard. When he reappears, just... Um... Lead him to the other side of the set. See if you can convince him to resurrect Mr. Welsh over there. That's a good god trick that never gets old.
1: <laughs> you think so? Hey there, Welsh. I understand that you're dead, which means I lost a man. <laughs> hey, does your widow have control of any of your investments yet?
4: He's pretty lively for a dead guy, though. In fact, he keeps getting winning hands in Fisbin it's a card game in case you're interested and maybe you're not i've been wiped out it's quite stimulating
2: Ah uh, say what do we call a man that can play cards with the dead if not a perverted backslider into satan's foul pit
1: you call him someone that has an aversion to losing which might very well mean that he's a recovering gambling addict i think i might want a piece of this game all deal one-eyed jacks are wild So is whatever else that comes into my hands. Auntie up, young man. I used to play whist with my auntie. You know, now that I think of it, she looked a little bit like you, President Nixon. (laughs) That was me in drag. I just lost the election for governor of California to that brown bastard. The press was crapping all over me, and I needed a quiet place to sleep it off. My bitter age, that is. I also wanted to keep a close eye on George Romney. I didn't want him to get a leg up and... Whittle on my national ambitions. Huh. I kept pouring explosive blue liquids into his grub. Made him too weird for public office. <laughs> what a guy. But you were happily married to Uncle Glib Romney for 40 years. <laughs> How did you ever pull that off, sir? Extended business trips, Tupperware parties, Avon bullshit, Daughters of the Confederacy conventions. Those were fun. I also feigned lots of headaches. Glib understood. I kept the facade up somehow. Sometimes I miss that, man. Well, my stars, it's great to see you again, Aunt Dix. I must say, I always wondered about your name and about your five o'clock shadow, but that was how we Romney kids learned how to tell time. Speaking of which,
2: it's time that we get this stupid plot creeping along again. The end of the show's silly music is closing in on us. The director must have heard you, Ned. Here comes Sagan. Okay, Welsh, stop being dead again. And Willard, your part is to bring Sagan, Maroney, whatever. Back to the corner and get him to revive Welsh. While he's busy with that pearl, will sneak around the set's backdrop. Get to the
1: bridge set and get ready on those phaser banks. I can't do all that. You need to tap some heroic type for that job. Somebody plucky with a short, catchy name like Wink or Chad. And most importantly, somebody that we won't miss if Sagan zings them into oblivion with a lightning bolt. That would be you. No, really. This isn't a mission for me. I'd only muck it up. I'm an ideas man. My battles are fought in the think tank, and not in a real tank. Fine. Sarsulu. Sulu,
2: looks like this one is yours by default, meaning that it's all Pearl's freaking fault.
0: Um, sure. I can do it, I guess. We're still wrapping this up at the usual time, I presume. Ned,
1: Sagan is heading over here right now.
2: I'm discerning a noticeable lack of taunting chants in the room this afternoon. Where's the incessant magoing that was going on earlier? Have you people decided to settle down and behave like responsible young adults in class? Sure, Sagan, Lord, whatever. We're all over that little adjustment period. Now Willard wants to show you something over in the corner of the room. It's the body of Engineer Welsh. I think he needs you to resurrect him. Why, I don't know. The guy was an idiot. Careful when you're breathing life into him. He wouldn't want to blow into his freaking bagpipes by mistake. One cheery thing about his demise was that those things were going to be buried with him. Very well, show me to the corpse.
4: What a cheery idea. After that, perhaps you'd allow me to give you an entire guided tour of the graveyard. Willard's
2: taking him over there. You can just go back to lurking in the morgue or wherever it is you
4: lurk. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Horse, I will.
1: Right over here, your moronitude. This is our chief engineer, the late Montague Krebastian Walsh.
2: What an unusual name. Did he ever consider changing it
1: to something less
2: ridiculous?
1: (laughs) Could be. He used to say a lot of things before he was dead. Some of them could have been about changing his name. Okay,
2: I'll need some kind of defibrillator, and somewhere to plug it in.
1: Ah, say,
2: I have one of those things. I used to cook up opossums when they least expected it. Here you go, Doc Satan. Just don't get any blood on it from one of the inferior
1: races. Why don't you just plug it into your podium over there? There should be an outlet.
2: Burl freaking idiot! Now he's looking that way! What's going on? Did I just see a man trot past my podium? and go underneath the painted backdrop.
1: That was just the plumber. He left his tools in Daniel Ellsberg's psychiatrist's office. He had to go back for them. He'll need them for his next caper coming up.
2: And what caper would that be? I must say that I'm very disappointed in all of you. I've given you a real chance here to transcend the limitations of thought promulgated by your own political and socio-economic class. We've only just managed to scratch the surface of the edifice of ignorance that you've built around yourselves. We're gonna scratch your surface in a minute here, Sagan. But I wouldn't go duck behind your podium if you know what's good for you. (laughs) Heh
1: there's a duck back there. I've got to go see.
2: Hold it, champ. Lock phaser back, Sulu. Sure, Okay, Mr. Ned. Phaser's locked down the little Podium and desk setup. Ned, you do know that you guys are standing pretty close to the target, right? I'm sure you realize how accurate our show's special effects are, meaning not
0: so accurate.
2: That can't be helped! Not without cash from the network! I won't wait for it! Fire phaser Sulu!
0: Firing phaser?
2: No! I still have electricity at my command somehow. Stop!
1: Oh my God! He's growing huge again. I think he may be the biggest astrophysicist in the world now, maybe in the galaxy. Sorry to all those wannabes out there, and all the wallabies too. They really are missing out on quite a light show. Nobody hosts a party like Maroni. Ah, <laughs> uh,
2: say, look at this podium. All just a wiggling light shadow of what it was! And the Satan scientist fella! The man who would be God rendered impotent! Just standing in the ruins of his disintegrated public broadcasting stage!
1: I wish we didn't have to do that! Just think, we could have used a more experimental weapon! And gotten paid for doing it! Product placement deals and things like that!
2: I can't believe it! I left my briefcase under that podium!
1: You've got nothing
2: now, Sagan! Let us go back to our stupid set and our pathetic show, and you can get back to whatever the hell it is that you do. No hard feelings, understand? I could have taught you all so much. So very much. Captain Romney, I offered you a road to knowledge that could have altered your life's trajectory. You could have been a serious contender for the leadership of your country and of your planet. You could have made a difference, but no, it was not to be. Pearl! Well, I don't think I could have done much with you, and Ned, and the rest. I see now the whole project was doomed from the onset. Copernicus, you were right. These people still aren't ready for what science can tell them. Hansen, you were right. These people have no interest in understanding climate models. Hawkins, you were right. The complexity of astrophysics means nothing to these people. Kepler, well, unfortunately, you were still wrong about your grand theory regarding the planet's orbits conforming to concentric
1: geometric shapes. Darwin, you were right. Hey, how long do you suppose this list is? I've got an appointment at 515 in 440 A.D. I've started using time travel to sell munitions to famous conquerors of the past. Don't worry about me disrupting the timeline, though. I'm only selling stuff to the winners. By the way, how do you spell Attila? With one L or two? Two, I think. (laughs) Charming.
2: Hubble, you were right. Percival Lowell, you were wrong about there being canals on Mars. But at least your telescope was pointing in the right direction. Einstein, you were right! Ptolemy, take me! Take me! Take me! Well, it looks like we've seen the last of him. At least until another one of our producers forgets that we just used him and. Cast him again.
1: (laughs) I thought for sure this latest version of Moroni was going to bring me to the promised planet, Caleb. But I guess I'll have to wait a little longer. Oh well. Hey, Rodrigo. Did I miss my dividend sweeps while I was away? You're talking to Sub-Ensign Goodstein, fool. (laughs) So I am. Hi there, Mr. Grandstand. It's a shame, really. All those scientists, all that work for what?
2: so that a ship full of unreconstructed plutocrats and their minions can scour the galaxy for every planet worth shaking down. Instead, we could have learned how to appreciate the complexities of the cosmos and come to understand
1: what motivated the great men that teased out such secrets. But Ned, mankind figured out a long time ago, that is after they invented television and space shows, that there's no point in all that astronomical and mathematical combobulating there's just not enough profit in it and it's boring no mankind was meant to march to the beat of drums or better yet to profit from those who are forced to march to the beat of drums i say and besides those long-haired deviants that dance around in olive
2: glades with laurel reefs upon their brows are hellward bound
1: sinners and at logger heads with the lord <laughs> I always appreciate your support, Doc. Mr. Sulu? Aye, sir. Beam us up home.
2: Okay, but it's gonna
0: take about a half an hour. I'm the only one on board.
1: He says he's bored? I'll tell you what bored is. This is bored. Very good, Mr. Sulu. We'll just stand around here for a while.
2: (laughs) Oh, great!
1: Wish we hadn't had to do this. So do
2: I.